0: I preach this message in a state prison. At the beginning of the tape, you'll hear the men singing, and at the end of the tape, you'll hear one of the men praying. Lord, There's a verse of scripture in 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So the title of this message is The Man Christ Jesus. Not the Son of God, but the man Christ Jesus. The Bible emphasizes Jesus' manhood throughout. In fact, one of the marks of Antichrist is that he will deny that Jesus Christ is Came in the flesh. Now, why would that be significant? We would expect the Antichrist to be denying that Jesus Christ was God. But no, he comes denying that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Why? Because Jesus Christ coming in the flesh is absolutely essential for him to obtain our eternal salvation. Matthew 8:27, when Jesus is on the ship with the disciples and the wind comes up boisterous, they're afraid they're going to sink. And uh, Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. He stands up, faces that big storm out there at sea, raises his hand over the sea and says, peace, be still. And suddenly the ocean becomes just as flat and as calm and still as can be. And the disciples all just look at each other, fall down upon their face. And they begin to, the Bible said, be afraid. It scared them to see the waters calm like that. One of them looked at the other one and said, Behold, what manner of man is this? And one of them looked at the other and said, What kind of man is this? Who is this? We've got in the boat with us. You see, it was the man that calmed the seas. Now God made them, but it was the man that calmed the seas. God placed Adam upon the earth and gave him dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowls there, over everything upon the face of the earth. And God placed Adam as king over this planet. So it is the manhood of Jesus Christ that the Bible emphasizes. Now, Jesus had a term for himself that he continually referred back to that is strange to a lot of people. He called himself the son of man. Do you ever notice that? Now, every one of you are the son of man. Now, some of you may not know what man it was, but you're still the son of a man, right? (laughs) Every one of you got a father somewhere. So we're all sons of men. Now, we're all sons of one man, in fact. We're all sons of Adam. Every single one of us have descended from great, 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 great granddaddy Adam. So that makes us all brothers. We're all related to that one great granddaddy Adam. Now, we're all sons of men. Jesus called himself a son of man. Now, we know he was the Son of God. He spoke of that as well. But like in Matthew 16, 13, he says, Then Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, asked his disciples, Whom do men say I, the Son of Man, am? And some said John the Baptist, some said Elijah, some said one of the prophets. He said, But whom say you that I am? And they said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. My father, which is in heaven, has revealed this unto you. But then he said to Peter, don't tell anyone, tell no man that I am Jesus the Christ. Isn't that strange that, that Jesus would call himself publicly the son of man, but then he would urge his disciples not to tell anybody that he was the son of God. You see, what he was trying to promote Was his humanity, not his deity. What he was trying to promote is this exemplary humanity. Not the deity that was there. Then in Matthew 26, 63 and 65. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God. Tell us whether thou be the Christ, the son of God. Now you've got to realize who's asking this question. This high priest is trying to find some reason to crucify Jesus. He wants Jesus to condemn himself. And Jewish law said that if any man claimed to be God or deity, then he should be put to death. So by asking Jesus, tell us whether you're the Christ, the Son of God. Had Jesus said yes, which he did, then the high priest would have had legal grounds to put Jesus to death, which they did. So Jesus answers this way. Jesus said unto him, thou hast said In other words, what you said is correct. Nevertheless, I say unto you hereafter, you shall see the son of man, not son of God, sitting on the right hand of power. So what Jesus has said to him, yes, I am the son of the living God, the son of the blessed, the son of the father. We'll show you that from one of the other gospels. He said, yes, I am that. But he said, after this, you're going to see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power. In other words, his emphasis is not that the Son of God will be sitting beside the Father, but that it will be a Son of Man sitting beside the Father. Folks, there's power in that that you never realized. We'll show it to you this morning. And then he says in Mark fourteen sixty one, the same passage Mark is recording, he says, The high priest said unto him, Art thou the Christ? Which is the anointed, the word Messiah. The son of the blessed. Now the rabbis wouldn't use the word for God. Even today an orthodox Jew will write G-D. He won't write God. And they won't speak his name. Too holy. So they will speak words like blessed. He's the blessed. Blessed be the eternal one. They'll call him the eternal one. But they won't speak his name. And so when he said, tell us where thou the Christ, the son of the blessed. He's referring to God, of course. And Jesus answered and said, here's the way Mark recorded. I am. I am the son of the blessed. And you shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of God power and coming in the clouds of glory. So his emphasis again is that the Son of Man will be in the place of power. Think about it, none of us are in a place of power. Even those powerful men on this earth have no power at all because death creeps in and grabs every one of us and brings us down. But the Bible says he has the power of an unchangeable life. Of one who will never die, who will never perish. And so the Bible says that he's a priest who's gone into the heavens ahead of us, sits on the right hand of God. The son of man is on the right hand of power. In other words, one of our own has gone before us and is seated on the right hand of power. You see, if you're going to have a lawyer to represent you, an attorney to represent you, that attorney must have access to the courthouse. That attorney must have access to the papers. That attorney must have access to the law. That attorney must have access to the judge. And that attorney must be recognized by the court for him to exercise that power. If he doesn't have that, he won't be any good as an attorney. Not only does an attorney have to have that, he also has to have access to you. He has to be able to get depositions from you. He has to be able to get your signature. He has to have you sign over a power of attorney to him for him to act on your behalf if he's going to be an attorney. So in other words, for a man to be your attorney, he's got to be able to reach down and take you by one hand and reach up and take the powers that be by the other hand and bring the two together to seek some reconciliation. Now, Jesus Christ came down to the earth to be our attorney. He came down to the earth to represent man. But to be an effective representative of man, he had to have access both to God and to man. And as the son of God, he had access to God, but he didn't have access to man. So he had to become the son of man so he could access you as well as God. Now he holds title to both places. Now he can freely roam with authority both in heaven and down upon the earth. That's why he emphasize that he was the son of man. Now listen to this John 5, 24. Great passage here. He said, Verily I say unto you, the hour is coming, verse 25, and now he is When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and shall live. Now, the one who will speak from heaven, who raises the dead, is the Son of God. The very next passage, after calling himself the Son of God, the very next passage, verse 27. And hath given him authority, God has given him authority to execute judgment also as well as raising from the dead. He's giving him authority to execute judgment also. Why? Because he is the son of man. You see that? As the son of God. He has independent power to raise from the dead. Doesn't need authority. Do that. He's got the power as God. But in order to have the authority. The position of authority. In order to execute judgment in the earth. That, do, that doesn't just mean judgment against us, but that means judgment on our behalf as a court renders judgment which may free you. Amen. Amen. Uh, as a court renders judgment which may justify you. So Jesus, the Bible says, has the power to render judgment because he is the Son of Man, Amen. not Son of God. Well. So Jesus had to become the Son of Man to gain that authority. To execute judgment on your behalf. So what you're hearing about this morning is your attorney and how he got in that position. Acts 7, 55 and 56. Stephen is being stoned to death. He's the first martyr of the New Testament church. And he's about to die. He looks up to heaven he says, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now think about it. When Stephen looked up, he didn't just see the Son of God. He saw the Son of Man standing. That means he had two feet. That means he had two hands. God doesn't have feet and hands like we do. That means he had eyes and he had ears. And that means there was a throne there for him to sit on. You see, no man's seen God at any time. But we have seen Jesus. And so what Stephen saw was a man. The son of man seated on the right hand of authority and power. And then Revelation 1, 12 and 18, John has this vision and he looks right into heaven and he sees seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the candlesticks, Revelation 1, 13 was one like unto the son of man. So there he is, folks. Walking among the golden candlesticks in heaven, interceding for us, seated on the right hand of power. Now, the Bible says of Adam, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish, the sea, fowl there, so forth. Psalm 8, 3 through 9 refers to that. Listen to this. He says, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. When God created Adam, the planet was perfect. It was a sinless planet. It was full of animals and birds and God had great hope for this planet. What he wanted was Adam and Eve to live on this planet in perfect harmony and peace. Have lots of children. Produce a a giant race of people. To Occupy the earth and eat the fruit of the garden and and live in love and harmony. In other words, he wanted a paradise on this earth. God wanted the most beautiful society that would ever exist on this earth. No sin, no selfishness, no evil. There wouldn't have been any lust like there is today. There would have been purity, just one man, one woman. But there wouldn't have been any greed or stealing with the eyes or stealing otherwise. It had been a perfect situation. That's what God created, folks. That's what he intended. But you see, sin came in, you had to put locks on doors. Sin came in, had to put clothes on. Sin came in, you had to guard what you own. Sin came in, folks started hating each other. Sin came in, they started having war. Sin came in, people got greedy and mean-spirited. Death came into the world. And men began to fear because of death. They'd split up into nations. They fought and warred one against another. They split up into smaller groups. They split into cults. And finally they split into gangs. And they kill and rob and steal. That's not what God intended. He intended a perfect planet of, of beauty and harmony. And so he said, Adam, I'm going to give you dominion over all of this. Over all the works of my hands. You're going to be the king over the whole thing. Adam would have been the head. He'd have been the oldest man. he had been old great, great, great granddaddy, you know. And he'd never have died, but he'd have showed a little more age, you know. And he would have been reverenced and honored as the, the head of the human race. And his word would have gone. And he'd have been granddaddy king sitting up there on the hill somewhere in the Garden of Eden. Uh, all that good water flowing out. And everybody deferring to old Adam. But didn't, didn't stay that way. Now listen to the book of Hebrews quotes these passages. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 18. And the Bible says this, verse 5. Under the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come. There is a world that's coming. God's not true. That design he had for this planet has not faded away just because of sin. God has not given up the idea of paradise in fact there is a paradise and it is going to come folks back to this earth now the earth is so messed up god's going to get rid of all those plastic coke bottles down in the trash you know he's going to get rid of the pcbs he's going to get rid of all those newspapers and time magazines and the tv sets all that stuff is going to be burned up and god's going to create a new world and the new world is going to be an absolutely beautiful magnificent place with ideal perfect weather and temperature Hebrews 2.6, but in a certain place he testified saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visitest him? Have you ever thought about that? Looked up at the stars at nighttime and consider them and you start feeling small. You start wondering, why in the world God ever think on me? Or you begin to study astronomy and, and you look at the size of the universe and the size of this earth and the vast distances out there. Start wondering if maybe God's forgotten about the planet and us here on it. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man, the son of man that thou visitest him. Why why would God ever visit us? Why would God ever come down to this planet and, and take notice of us? He says, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. He said he didn't put this world to come into subjection to the angels. But who did he put into subjection to? He said, man, thou crownest him with glory and honor. When God created Adam, he put a crown on his head. And God said, now Adam, I want you to achieve great glory and great honor. God's not against that. You realize that most of life is built around glory and honor? What's sports all about? Glory. And honor. What's auto racing all about? What's wrestling all about? You know, what's boxing all about? You say, well, it's, it's in doing it. No, it's in the glory and the honor you get out of it. That's what we achieve. Artists, musicians, politics. What's it all about? Glory and honor. That slick car you buy and polish it up. What's it all about? Glory and honor. You glory in that car, don't you? What about those drags you put on? All that's for your glory and your honor. You get out of it. People go and they get educated and they come back and talk educated. Why? Honor. They seek certain jobs and stuff. Why glory and honor? I mean, that's basically what motivates the human race is glory and honor. Pride. You see, glory and honor doesn't have to be pride. But when we use that drive for glory and honor to place ourselves above our fellow man, that's when it becomes sinful and wicked. So God created us. It's a natural drive in us to seek glory and honor. That's why men build great Buildings that tower into the sky. That's why they build these fancy bridges over these, uh, you know, it's, it's glory to them. Build great ships and, and uh, these oil derricks out there. It's, it's, it's not only wealth, it's the glory. It's the honor of it. God created us with that drive. There's nothing wrong with it except when it's used selfishly. God crowned Adam with glory. God wants wanted Adam to expand and build great things. He wanted gigantic pyramids built, you know. God wanted big buildings with tall columns and carved stuff and beautiful paintings. And he wanted 500 piece orchestras playing and dance music and band music and and people dressed in flowing costumes or moving back and forth. I mean, God wanted glory and honor. He's not against that. He wanted a man to, to build great ships and sail on the ocean with those sails up there in the wind like that. He wanted us to develop airplanes to fly through the air. I mean, I just loved the, the feeling of flying, you know. He wanted us to do that. Skydiving and bungee cord. I mean, all those things that we do that are thrilling and wonderful. God wanted us to develop and experience glory and honor. The problem is we've done it selfishly, wickedly. But it was God's original intention. Now, let's go on and see what he says here. Thou crowns him with glory and honor. Did set him over all the works of thy hands. Now, listen to this. That verse 8, thou hast put all things, all things, all things in subjection under his feet. He's talking about Adam. Adam. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. He goes on. He wants to make sure you get the point. He says, for in that he has put all things in subjection under his feet, he left nothing that is not put under him. You see, Adam was made the king of the kingdom of heaven, of this planet. Nothing is not put under, but he said, but now we see not yet all things put under him. Now, if I look around, do I see that all things have been put under Adam and his descendants? No, I don't. I see tornadoes beating the daylights out of us. I see hurricanes washing us away. I see bugs and diseases killing us off. I see the weather freezing us to death and burning us up. I don't see man Ruling over this planet. I see him trying to survive it. I don't see everything in subjection under man. I see him fighting over little pieces of it. It's not working out like God said it would. Is it? Thus put all things in subjection under his feet. He left nothing that's not put under him. But he said we don't see it. We don't see it. Now we know why we don't see it right. It's because of the sin that came in. What do we see? Listen to what he says. Verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, that's where man was made, for the suffering of death, see him crowned with glory and honor. Amen. You see, the same thing that God placed on Adam, a crown of glory and honor, along comes the word Jesus is a human word. Down in Mexico, every third person name named Jesus or something. Now, they're called Jesus. Why? It's just a human name, like George or Bob. He didn't say, but we see the Christ. He didn't say, we see the Son of God. He said, we see Jesus, the man. We see the Son of Man crowned with glory and honor. Why? That by the grace of God, the passage said, he should taste death for every man. So God's goal was that Jesus should become a man to taste death like a man tastes death and do it on behalf of everyone. Crowned with glory and honor, he says, for it became him for whom of all things and by whom are all things to bring many sons into glory. You remember God crowned Adam with the glory, but he lost it. Now, God wants to bring many sons into glory. Remember Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the righteousness of God. Is that what it says? No. For all have sinned. Isn't that a strange way of saying it? If I were writing, I'd never written it that way. I'd have said, for all have sinned and come short of the righteousness of God. That that makes sense. But to say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. you You see what it's getting at? Is that God created us to be crowned with glory. But we sinned and fell short of the glory. See, a lot of people think of God as some kind of mean old miser that wants to deprive us of everything and sit us up there somewhere playing little bitty finky harps, you know, and sitting in some kind of dumb church meeting all the time. And and, uh, God's boring and dull. No, God created us for glory. We lost it. But he took that same crown that fell off of Adam's head. The devil snatched that thing up and been carrying it around. He wasn't worthy to wear it, but he'd been carrying it around. And Jesus Christ was crowned with glory and honor as a man. And his life testified of glory and honor. See, His whole life testified of glory and honor. He said, it's a little thing to me if you don't honor me. He said, my honor comes from the Father. He said, you dishonor me. But he said, my honor comes from the Father. Now, Jesus was crowned with glory and honor, the world didn't recognize it. They crucified the glorious son of man. They crucified the glorious son descendant of Adam. But he still was crowned with glory and honor. Now listen is what it goes on to say. Verse 11. For both he that sanctified. We're in Hebrews. Verse 11 now. Both he that sanctified and they that are sanctified are all of one. For which cause. He's not ashamed to call them brethren. You see, God wants to bring many sons into this same glory he's got. Jesus wants to lead you into glory. He wants to grab you and say, come on, follow me into glory. Come on, I want to give you my glory. Come on, wear the crown of glory with me. And he wants to take you and lead you many sons into glory. It says, for which cause? He's not ashamed to call them brethren. In other words, God says, you're my brother. I'm not ashamed of you, see? God says, you're You're my brother. I'm not ashamed of you. You're my brother. See, God says, you're my brother. I'm not ashamed of you. And he just goes down and everybody's willing to come. He says, I'm not ashamed of you. You're my brother. I'm going to put the crown of glory back on your head. I'm going to give you some honor you don't deserve. I'm going to bring you into glory with me. I'm the son of man. I am the one who. Who qualifies? Now, he says, many sons in glory, it's not ashamed to call them brethren. He said, I will declare thy name unto the brethren. Listen to this. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. That means one day, folks, we're going to get to heaven, have a little church service. And Peter's going to say, we're going to have special music now. And Jesus is going to walk up and he's going to begin to sing some of the psalms and glory and honor. I bet he's got a voice, don't you? I bet he's got a voice. And he's going to sing just like, because he is one of us. He's going to participate. He's going to participate in the worship service with us as we worship the Father. The Son of Man in glory and honor. See, he said he's not ashamed. He wants to bring many sons into glory. Not ashamed to call them brethren. My, what what a wonderful gospel that is. Uh, who, what other religion is ever conceived of anything as wild as this? huh? Amen. He says, and, and he say, quotes another passage here in Hebrews. He says, verse 13, and again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. God has given Jesus the children. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that is, he took part of flesh and blood, which is corruptible, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Here it is. The death sentence was over the human race. Uh, stand up here a minute Stand up here a minute Alright See the, the, the Right here Stand right here Alright This man's in the firing squad Right now I bet you didn't think it would ever come to that in here Did you Alright He's standing here In the firing squad See you, know, you guys back there You all lined up Ready to blow his brains Out here And uh, shoot careful It's just a little spot Right there in the middle And so here he stands Ready to be Got the death sentence on him It's been passed He's waiting The Bible said He tasted death For every man What Jesus did He moved in here like this And he said Shoot and he got shot in our place. You can sit down now. You survived that one, buddy. You've been reprieved, all right? <laughs> and and he, he took this bullet for us. He was shot in our place, and he died. You see, as the son of God, he couldn't do that. It passed right through him. And even if he had have died, it wouldn't count for anything because the death sentence was upon the man, and it had to be the man to die. There's an old story it comes out of the Second World War. There was a sergeant there that had been taken prisoner. His name was Joe, and he'd been shot, and he was wounded and kind of crippled up. And on. And then there's a young man, a pilot, just been in the war a couple months and got shot down on his first flight, and he was taken prisoner there. And, and they uh, had a rule that if anybody escaped, they would shoot ten men that were left behind and one day somebody escaped so they grabbed 10 of the Americans and lined them up there fixing to cut them down with machine gun fire and this old boy a kid you know about 21 22 years old just began to cry and bawl and said he had a wife back home a kid he'd never seen and he didn't want to die and he didn't want to fight this war in hell you know and, and old joe he comes dragging that old game leg up there and he, he says, he says, Sarge, you're talking to the enemy. He said, let me, let me die in this boy's place. You said ten, what difference it make? And they said ten's ten. We don't care. And, and they were just fixing to shoot. And he pushed the boy out of the way, and they cut him down. And the old sergeant's body fell right across the boy, and the boy was screaming, hollering. He thought he'd been shot. You know, blood running all over him. And and his buddies ran over and pulled Sarge off of him and took the jacket off because they needed the clothes. It was cold there. And one of them took the jacket and threw it down on the boy like that and began to cuss him and said, shut up, you blabbering fool. He died in your place. You didn't deserve it. They liked charge, you know, and didn't, like, didn't care if anything was this little boy. And so the boys took him six or eight hours to get together and he got this jacket with four or five holes in it. He's wearing that thing because it's cold. And then pretty soon he he began to dawn on him what happened, that somebody died in his place. Somebody had saved him. He'd been saved by Sarge. Amen. And so finally, the day came, the war was over, with, and he got to go home. And when he got off the boat, his wife comes running up to him, and she says, your jacket's got bullet holes on it and blood stains. He said, yeah, honey. He said, I'm here on borrowed time. He said, I'm living somebody else's life. He said, oh, Joe gave his life for me, died in my place. And he said, I'll never eat a meal. I don't think about Joe. I'll never lie down with you, but I don't think about Joe. Gave me every minute of my life. You see, he tasted death for me. He tasted death for me. Jesus, folks, has tasted death for you. He died in your place and then he clothed you with his garment of righteousness. Now, it doesn't have any bullet holes in it. it. doesn't have any stains on it. It's sinless. It's pure. It's without spot, wrinkle or blemish. But it's the robe of righteousness that God has dressed you in having died in your place and taken your place. And you are now wearing the glory and the honor of him who first wore. That robe of righteousness. And you're admitted not just back home, but you're admitted into his riches and his wealth. You become an heir of his kingdom. You become a son of the same father that he's got. He said he's not ashamed to call us brethren. He said, for it behooved him, verse 17, to be made like unto his brethren. That is, folks, Christ had this compelling, compassion, desire to be made like you. He wanted to become what you are. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, 45-49, listen to this. The first man, Adam, we're talking about Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first Adam, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. And through his semen, he passed on that living soul to each one of us. All of us got our soul from Adam, all of us alike. The first man Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam, that's Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. Now, Adam, through his semen, made us a living soul. Jesus through his quickening spirit gave us spiritual eternal life. You see, as in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. For by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. But by one man, Jesus Christ, and by the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness came upon all men unto eternal life. So, for by one man that sinned, many were made sinners. So, by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. So, where the first Adam acted on our behalf to bring death to his posterity. The last Adam acted on our behalf to bring life to his posterity. Leading many sons into glory. Do you see that? So, the first man, Adam. Could affect the human race because he was the head of the human race. The last Adam, who's called the second man, could bring the opposite effect because he too was a man. He too was a man crowned with glory and honor. And he's called the second Adam because when Jesus came to earth, God said to him in his trump and victory over sin, he said, the crown is now yours. You are now king over this planet. For the first time since original creation, God had a man walking the earth who could command the sea and it'd be still. Dominion over the works of his hands. Remember? For the first time, God had a man who could take up a piece of stone and turn it into bread if he wanted to. Or take five little fishes and multiply them and feed 5,000. Or who could take... A body that was sick with disease. And touch it. And life come to it. He had dominion over all the works of God's hands. Didn't he? Amen. He had authority. They said, never man spake with authority like this. Right. Right. And they said, even with authority, he commands the devils. And they go out. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Here was authority in the hands of a man. He said, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, he came as the king, he came as The man with dominion, glory, and honor, and power, he came to rule the planet. He came to do what Adam failed to do. He came and succeeded against the temptations of Satan where Adam failed, and he came to be the head of a race of people to establish a family on this earth, to establish a community on this earth. Like Abraham, the Bible said, he looked for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. One day, Abraham will walk through that city And seated on the throne Will be the Lord Jesus Christ He will find that city one day Which has foundations Whose builder and maker is God And around the throne Will be gathered the sons of the second Adam The descendants of the son of man Those whom he's not ashamed To call brethren Folks that's what we're a part of That's the glorious plan That we're a part of Amen All right Amen Now one final passage, Revelation 4 8 through 11. Listen to this. He talks about this as a heavenly scene. Now, John has gone up to heaven, and he's before the throne, and before him is that one whose voice is like many waters. And he sees four beasts, they got eyes before and behind, got their wings spread out there, and they're crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, just and true art thou, ways, thou King of saints. And when these beasts Verse 9, give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne. What are they giving? Glory Glory and honor and thanks. You see, it's not to God the Father just they're giving it. It is to the Son. Glory and honor and thanks. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, now what are these crowns? Remember what God did with Adam? He crowned him, didn't he? Crowned him with glory and honor. And he lost the crown. And all have come short of the glory of God. But Jesus came and got the glory and the honor. And now then he says, we're in heaven and God's given us crowns. To whom does he give crowns? The Bible tells about those that overcome get crowns. Those that uh, love his appearing get crowns. Those that win souls get crowns. Those that minister the gospel get crowns. And so when we get to heaven, we'll have these little interlocking, stacking crowns, you know. Just, just kind of interlock and stack up there like that. Now, I don't know how many crowns I'm going to get. I might not get any. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm working for one or two. I, I'd like to have one, Amen. two, three, four. I really, I'd like to have 37, you know. I'd like to have them just stacked up about three foot tall. So I just kind of had to balance them like that when I walked around. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> God knows there'll be enough pride in this through eternity. You want to wear them? <laughs> he knows it's you know we're still got a little mixed motive that that we're going to work for those crowns and be proud to wear them because they're going to represent the grace of God working in our life. They're going to represent God through Jesus Christ returning upon our head that which we lost in Adam and lost their own actions. Now what's going to happen? They're giving glory and honor. And listen to what the four and twenty elders, by the way, represent the the Church of God in heaven, and it says. The four and twenty elders sitting before the throne worshiped him that liveth forever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy to receive honor and glory and power. When we get to glory, we're going to reach up and take that crown off different times. Take those crowns off and say, Lord, I don't deserve this glory. I don't deserve this honor. It's yours. Toss that thing right at the foot of Jesus at the throne. I mean, can, can you picture a? A good rally, a good dance meeting, ending like that, you know? A good hoot, good free-for-all. Uh, I mean, just dancing and singing and worshiping God and carrying on round the throne. And all of a sudden, someone begins to weep. And what are you weeping about? And he says, I just remember what the Lord did for me. And I just don't feel worthy to wear this crown, chunk. And I say, man, me neither, chunk. He said, more me neither. And there's those crowns piled up before the throne. Amen. And the Lord receives the glory and the honor and the worship. Then he says, now you guys, you come back and get these crowns going back home here. (laughs) I I appreciate it, but listen, I gave that glory and honor to you. You come put, so a couple weeks later, you know, chunk back at the throne again. Throw that crown (laughs) off at his feet. Be our our offering we get to make over and over again to the Lord around the throne. uh, Giving him back that glory and honor and thanks that he's given us. So, today, if you're a son of God. God's given you something you could never in a million, trillion years earn. In fact, if you took all your goodness over a million years and stacked it together, you wouldn't even get one look at heaven with one eye and a patch over the other one. I mean, you wouldn't even get to take a bus trip within a hundred miles of it if it's based on your righteousness. But thank God it's a gift that the man, Christ Jesus, has earned for us, gone before, and represents us. You know, he's opened up a... Shop up there. It's called the Throne of Grace. It's a rescue mission for guys like me and you. It's a place where he receives those that need grace and mercy to help in time of need. It's a place where He dispenses His legal counsel and advice and where He says to the Father, Father, apply the blood to that. Father, look at the blood in regard to that. Father, don't see the sin. See the blood. It's a place where He intercedes on our behalf. And make sure that we always are in favor with God. And it's a place where He dispenses that grace and mercy to help in time of need. So the Bible says, Hebrews 4, come boldly. Under the throne of grace and mercy. That you may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. And we're still in time of need. Aren't we? Thank God we got somebody that supplies our every need. Amen. Amen. Somebody pray for us
1: most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before that throne of grace and mercy right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this service, dear God, and the message that's been brought forth today, Lord. Father, we thank you for the power of your Word, Lord God. We thank you for Jesus, Lord God, and for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Lord God. Father, we just pray right now, Lord God, that you would help us to grow and mature, Lord God, as we go through this life, Lord God, looking for Jesus to return, Heavenly Father. And we just want to thank you, Lord God, for saving our souls, Lord Heavenly Father. Lord God, for making in the way, Father God, that sin is no longer our sins no longer imputed unto us, dear God, because of Jesus, Lord, and his righteousness. Father, I pray that you be with us this day, Lord God. And Father God, just instill within us, Lord God, the boldness and the courage, Father God, to take forth the Gospel of Jesus upon this compound, Lord God, to spread it, Lord God, as far as we can, Lord Heavenly Father. Lord, I just pray for our families today, dear God. Lord, I pray for Brother Mike, Lord God, and Sister Debbie, Lord, and their ministry, dear God. I pray for all of our missionaries, Lord God, that are in foreign countries today, Lord God, that You'd bless them to their needs, Lord Heavenly Father. Father, that You'd provide them with the protection that they need dear God as we're going through these countries Lord God. Father I just pray that Lord God as we're surrounded by ravenous wolves Lord God that you blanket us Lord God that you just do like with Job Lord and place a hedge about our lives Lord Lord, help us dear God Lord God that we can glorify you Lord and give you the honor and glory that you need
0: In Jesus name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. See you next Saturday. Here's some more of these right here. Come up and get your, your name tag if you're missing one. Thank you, thank you. Sure, right, bro, do with them? Them you can people. have them right there. Thank you. Okay. Right, sure. Thank you for the word. All right. All right. Thank you for coming, bro. Yeah, appreciate that. Here, take this tape. Listen to it. You want that? You got one of those yet? Yeah? You want one of these? Security of the Believer, Imputed Righteousness, and Colossians. Whatever.
1: Colossians.
0: You want one of these? Righteous, Imputed Righteousness, Security I the Believer? We have playing it. Alright. All I've got I've huh? already got You already got these? You got both of these? I've got both of Alright. Thank you. You got a way of playing these? No, sir, I don't. Uh-huh.
1: I'll, I'll take one.
0: You got a way of playing these?
1: Yes, sir. I found a way.
0: But you got either one of those yet?
1: No, sir. Uh-huh. I don't have. I'm uh-huh.
0: playing. You. you got imputed righteousness? I'm gonna take up one with you, too. take it. It's a set. It's a set. Okay. Thanks for coming. Sure. God, God bless you. Sure, brother. God bless you, brother. Mike. Uh-huh. Brother Mike. Uh-huh. Take it, take it, it's yours. I need that Romans 1 through 8. I
1: thought